Hi, I'm Jonathan Presco from JP Fine Foods, and you're listening to us on the SME Stories Podcast with Ken Alfred. You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories Podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. Hey, everybody. Hey everybody, thanks for downloading the show. We got a great episode today with Jonathan Prescow. Jonathan Prescow is actually the owner of JP Fine Foods. And uh, just a little bit about him. So Jonathan Prescow has been at the helm of JP Fine Foods for the last 16 years. He graduated from the Ontario College of Arts and Design in Industrial Design before heading to Georgia Brown to get his chef certificate. Jonathan worked for a few years uh, at various different restaurants before deciding to tackle catering. Over the last 16 years, though, Jonathan has built a business by cultivating relationships and becoming a highly reputable catering company working all over the GTA. So if you remember before um, we in the podcast, we had Aaron Okada, who, was more, who took the food service more from the restaurant and chef's point of view. So now where this is a different twist on it, we're actually still in the food service space, but now we're talking about catering. So being mobile, being nimble is going to be very vital from a caterer's point of view. So I think we're going to have a great uh, episode today. I know John's got plenty of stories. So sit back and absorb. Here we go. All right, guys, we have Jonathan Prescow from JP Fine Foods. JP. Or should you prefer JP or John? What should you prefer? Just cough. Doesn't matter. Just cough. All right. So we'll call him JP. Just call. Just call. Just call. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So anyways, we got a great show today. We have JP from JP. Sorry, John from JP Fine Foods. So John, how's it going? Everything ready? You good to go? Fantastic. Ready to go. Ready to go. All right. So JP Fine Foods, what's your story? So it all started in 2006 with a dream to be an independent entrepreneur and had no idea what that meant, but I uh, just dove right in. I actually uh, graduated from uh, the Ontario College of Arts and Design with a, a diploma in industrial design, um, which gave me a great foundation in putting things together and understanding design and experiences and uh, yeah, just something clicked in, in the, the last year that I was there and just watching all the the older, more mature students around me cook and experience going to their homes while we're working. And like, they're just whipping up these amazing meals. I'm like, this looks like fun. And I've always been one to watch TV and the, the cooking shows, Jamie Oliver, all of those things. My dad used to run around saying like, Go do something useful and productive. And little did he know that whatever I was doing, whatever I was watching was useful and productive. And so, yeah, just at the end of OCAD, I was just hadn't really found myself yet. So I went to, did another, another year of school, went to uh, George Brown to do my culinary certificate. So that was one year and then came out of there and just started grinding in the restaurant industry um and realized the restaurant world wasn't for me i brought them a couple catering gigs and got tipped out an extra hundred bucks on a four thousand dollar event thinking to myself i think i'm worth a bit more than this so i made the dumb mistake and started my own business um (laughs) so yeah like in retrospect, it was I wasn't ready to start a business, but I'm glad I did. And it's been 16 years and learned a lot of lessons along the way. Uh, subsequently, started another business as well with a, a buddy of mine. And yeah, here we are today. Wow, that's a really great story then. So so you figured this out on, like you said, your last year of OCAD, where you kind of had a feeling that uh, you might be in the wrong I guess, fields. So you thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll finish this off that I need to finish. And then I'm going to go straight to what I really wanted to try and, and, and explore. Is that correct? Yeah. Like growing up, industrial design was perfect for me because I wasn't like architecture. I didn't have the math background uh, and stuff like that. But design was always something I was doing. I was always building things. I was always uh, I did really well in art, art class and stuff like that. So I thought industrial design was the the, the way to go. And it was a, an amazing experience, but just something at the end left me a little 
a little empty, missing something. And I think the culinary school aspect satisfied that that craving. Yeah. And like I said, I know um, John mentioned to me this in a previous email, but uh, I guess our previous guest, Eugene Ponell, John and, and Eugene actually went to the same school. I think and they're in the same year. Is that right? So you yeah. guys kind of knew each other. And I think he absolutely and he did industrial design, too, but he doesn't really do industrial design anymore. Right. He's actually doing like art and fi- like uh, mascots and props and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's interesting how, how you know. it. But I guess that creativity kind of blended well with when it came to, I guess, food. Right. And I guess that's what uh, that's what we're here talking about. So. I guess, so what makes uh, JP5 Foods so successful? Because you said you've grinded and you said for the last 16 years, you're building this whole thing. So what, what makes it super successful? I think what's made us successful are, are the relationships and um, the experiences that we've created for our clients. I think relationship building in whatever industry you're in is the most important part of any business. So um I've just been going over my notes and uh, I've had a few clients since 2009. Like I've been up at one client's cottage every Saturday um, during the summer since 2009. Um, I've worked with a company called Safina Foods. They're a massive brand. I've been the, the, the owners, like basically private chef at the office since 2009 as well. So I think it's the the longevity is uh, creating those great those like creating those amazing relationships and then nurturing them um, and then always learning. So um, if there's a theme night that we're doing, um, say we're doing Spanish uh, for those customers, I'm always learning, uh, grabbing new cookbooks, scouring the internet, um, and just trying to evolve my culinary skills uh, while giving great customer service and just fostering uh, great relationships. Yeah, you, you talked about there, like nurturing the relationship. I think for a lot of small businesses, regardless of any field, is that they're, they're almost quick to, you know, quick to sell and quick to try and land the client right away. When in some cases, they're mm-hmm. not really ready yet to actually buy your product or service right they could just be just remotely interested and then but by pushing on it's almost like you're that uh like that that pushy car salesman the minute you walk into a lot where they're like almost swarming you to try and get you right away to buy you know whatever and i mean cars aren't available right now because of the shortages and stuff but i guess uh i guess that's what makes you guys really good is that you're not you're not rushing to try and land it right away, right? You're willing to get the interest and just nurture it and just making sure they don't forget you because it's very easy to the point that, uh, you know, you try to push too hard and you, they just want to step away and you, don't, you don't, and you don't give them too much space. So that's interesting that you mentioned that. And uh, actually, I'm going to ask the next one here that's more related onto that. So I noticed, though, you, you've been down for 16 years. Like, is there any plans of maybe growth that you're looking to do? Like, how much growth do you see yourself? Do you see JP Fine Foods uh, achieving in the next year, five years, 10 years? Um, yeah, we're always trying to grow and expand and recruit. Uh, for us, the next, before COVID, we had an amazing corporate sales guy who pounded down all the corporate doors downtown landed a lot of good business for us and that all disappeared and we had to let it go and COVID really sucked the life out of the, the corporate world. But our plan is to hire another corporate salesperson um, and really push that aspect of the business because um, that's that's the great Monday to Friday, the lunches, the breakfasts, the, the cocktail receptions. And then that'll give us the opportunity to continue to grow the private side of things and work more on larger scale events. So more weddings, uh, engagement parties, the, the larger stuff, which I I really enjoy and it helps us showcase our creativity. So over the next couple of years, we want to continue to grow that aspect. Um, and uh, in the middle of COVID, we, we actually changed our name. So we were JP Catering. Uh, I work with an amazing marketing company called Full Scoop Marketing, and they've helped me push the direction to JP Fine Food. So instead of being a caterer, we now have an opportunity to expand to a wider range of uh, 
of things, starting with uh, we could open up a little retail shop under the, the brand JP Fine Foods and continue with uh, the prepared meals and, and things like that. So over the next couple of years, we're going to focus on building back up our to, to our pre-COVID levels, reintroduce the corporate, and then really start to think about the future of of the brand and where we can take it and and what we can do um, under this bigger scope. Yeah, that's great. And it's interesting how you branded that, right? So originally you were known as JP Catering. So I guess when you were in discussions, was it, did they feel that by just having catering in the name was going to kind of limit or pigeonhole you into like, when people look you up, they're like, oh, if I want, you know, if I want to buy certain foods, like, oh, this is a catering company. So they don't really sell to you know, average consumers. So is that what the mindset was? Um, yeah, exactly. So I actually uh, took that JP Fine Foods uh, handle, like the, the URL, or what's it called? Uh, domain? Yeah, the JP Fine Foods, the domain, thank you. So I took that uh, probably 10 years ago with the idea of this prepared foods market side of things. So that's always been in the background, but I think it took COVID and starting the meal deliveries and and um, the prepared foods and stuff like that to really push us into using that name and giving it the its opportunity to really um, expand my business. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And, and so I forgot to ask. So I guess when people are looking to listening to this, they say, okay, so they do the catering. So could, are you able to break down a few other things that you guys offer as well? Because you said you're not just, you provide catering, which could be like the biggest uh, one you have. But I know there's a few others on your website. You have like delivery stuff. This this virtual event stuff was kind of interesting and some private uh, functions as well. Can you expand on a few of those pieces there? Absolutely. So um, throughout COVID, it, it was grind or die so we decided to grind it all out and um really pursue any and every avenue we could so the virtual events were a lot of fun it was we delivered a box of food to each home it had all of the ingredients portioned ready to go all of the guests log on to our zoom link and i'll walk them through preparing the meal and they prepare it with me so we're going slowly Everyone's making their own sushi rice. They're cutting all the ingredients. Um, and then we we learned how to roll sushi. So that was one fun activity. Um, and then the, the meal delivery side of things, it slowed down quite a bit with everyone getting back to quote-unquote normal. Um, but we were doing a lot of like a, a weekly drop of a new menu. And then people would have the opportunity to order a couple items or prepared boxes. So we'd have like a taco kit that would go out. You get your pulled brisket, all your tortilla shells, some pulled chicken. And then you, with our heating instructions, you warm it all up and you've got prepared meals ready to go. So we're, we're working at rejigging that aspect of the business to be more like um, event, event style, easy event styles in a box, basically. So if you click on the website, you click on uh whatever kit you want to order or whatever um, the sandwich platters or the meal boxes or whatever it is. And then it just shows up to your house. So eliminating having to call in and speak to someone is just easy, easy and simple meal deliveries or event deliveries. Oh, that's pretty cool, actually. And and when you touched on that virtual event, it just got me think. I know, was it what, Gordon Ramsay tried something like that before? I, it was like broadcast TV where he says, okay, you're going to cook the same foods I am. But they, they kind of had to have the foods bought, like prepared ahead of time. I guess the, the best thing about yours is, is that literally they have everything there, right? So if I guess because it was the – but I think for Gordon Ramsay, it was like live. So you if you didn't have an ingredient properly or you didn't pre-cook, let's say, the rice or something, you're kind of stuck. And it's like, oh, if I don't have this spice, I got to – I got a substitute for this, and then maybe it not might, won't taste the same. But yours, you're very specific. That okay? There's really no excuse. You guys have all the ingredients, so it should taste exactly the same as if I made it for you myself, right? Exactly. So we took the the guesswork out of it, and we gave everyone the the right tools for the event. Um, but yeah, it with Gordon Ramsay's and uh, and our boxes, there there was a lot of a, 
preparation that needed to happen ahead of time. So you have to a, communicate what preparation needs to be done, and then uh, and then you'll you'll really be set up set up for success. It's like with any catering event that we take on, it's being organized, it's being uh, ready to go with all the the proper mise en place, which means everything in its place. Um, you have to have your mise en place and be organized in this industry. Otherwise, you are in big trouble. Yeah, and I think the pressure comes from, I think, from a lot of people. They think, oh, they, they see the they see the Hell's Kitchens and they see how crazy it is from the restaurant perspective. And, uh, you know, I asked Aaron from the previous show, who's more of a restaurateur and is a chef, and he said, well, back then, it was almost like it was very military-like how this kind of thing developed where, you know, they looked at sometimes the food servers were not the you know, top of the cast system, they were more on the bottom. So they needed that organization structure of, okay, we got to cook this, 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 and this. Now, now you're in the catering space and other things. Is it less hectic or could it be just as hectic versus, because I think for the restaurants, it's like, okay, you got the customer rating right then and there, right? And I guess, of course, there's pressure, especially if you're delivering a lunch service or you're delivering dinners to, let's say, a corporate client, there's probably all that pressure as well. Is, Is the pressure just as high or a little bit less than a restaurant? Hey, do you need an error free website? Do you need transcription that's accurate and on time? Would you like to remove noise from your video or audio recording? Do you need a spokesperson for your business? If so, we can help. At Northway Capital Group, we are happy to announce that we are now providing website testing services, audio transcriptions, and audio cleanup, as well as spokesperson services. We would love to help you on your next project. Contact us for more information at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. Um... I'd say it, it's just as high. Um, you, there's there's always that pressure because if your if your prep work isn't done, you're still rolling out to the events. If the event starts at six, we're going to show up an hour and a half early. We have to be ready to go. There might be a little bit more downtime, and once you get there, it's you hurry up, you hurry up, you get everything ready, and then you wait. But it's the same in a kitchen where you're you get all your mise en place ready. Uh, and then you're waiting for the customers. And when the customers come and when it's at service time, there's that same rush uh, that you get in the restaurant world, in the catering world, because you're thinking on your toes. You, if you forgot an ingredient, you're quickly looking to see if there's one around. You're adapting. You're, you're constantly thinking on your feet. Uh, so the, the pressure, it, it, it might not be the same, but it's still high in both scenarios just different different issues different problems well yeah especially depending on the type of catering you do right so like and and like i said i'm very new when it comes to the catering service it just seems like okay you have you bring in all the food and obviously there's there's a prep area that you're going to get all the food prepared for and then like you said when it's food service time it all gets there so do you have like what's a typical catering job like how many staff are you bringing to an event obviously it depends on the size and scope but is a rough number is that if someone was looking to try to to do their own catering thing i should have x number of resources that are ready to go if i want to try to get this thing successful um like you said there's a lot of different factors that go into deciding how many chefs how many servers in terms of the the serving staff, we have ratios. So if it's a cocktail party, it's one server to every 25 people. If it's a seated dinner, you're probably looking one server to every 10 to 12 people. Um, in terms of back of the house, it depends on each menu. So uh, if I'm doing um, stations, I need to make sure that there's a chef manning each station. If there's three stations, there's probably going to be four or five chefs because you need someone in the back preparing your hot food and then restocking the stations. Then you need someone on each station. If you're doing hors d'oeuvres first, you're going to need someone to prepare the hors d'oeuvres while the other chefs are getting other things ready. So there's no real magical number in terms of, okay, there's 25 guests, you need two two cups. It, it really depends on on every single menu. No, I think that- and then you also have to look... You also have to look at the the chefs um, and how experienced they are. Like I can run a function and do um, a plate of dinner for 20 by myself, whereas if I'm sending someone else, I'm going to send two people to make sure that it gets done a specific way or they have enough 
uh, time and resources and um, just help for success. Yeah, no, it's great to hear. And I know this is another newbie question for me, but I'm, I'm sure this has happened. Have you ever ran out of a particular dish in the middle of a service? Knock on wood that we don't want that to happen, um, obviously, but, and what do you do in something? So you're putting it out there. And for some reason, the people really just love this particular dish you're working on. And, you know, they're, they're, they're filling up their plates. And next thing you know, you're like, oh, wow, we're running really low. Uh, do you have, has that ever happened? Yeah, it's, de it's definitely happened, but I'm like a good Jewish bubby where I really make sure that there's enough food to go around for everyone and then some, um, it, it, doesn't my accountant doesn't really like that because then your food costs go up a bit but um it, it's happened on occasion but it, it's not something that happens all the time um if it's usually one dish that we're we've blown out of there's sometimes a backup dish so if we're serving two types of protein and we run out of one well sorry guys we've run out here's the other one there's if there's not a butcher shop around here. You're stuck with what you have, but it all comes back to the preparation and making sure all the things you have are there. It's knowing, okay, a dinner service, you're going to need eight to 10 ounces of protein a person. So let's think about this. What's going to be more popular? Is it the fish or the filet mignon? So we're going to bring a bit more filet, a little less fish. So um, again, it just goes to being prepared and organized in the right way. Yeah, because I can't imagine, like, I mean, maybe it's happened, like you said, where, you know, you've had, have you ever had to, like, send a chef, okay, we're out of this, quickly, go grab something from, whether it's a butcher shop or a grocery store, I can't imagine, grocery stores nearby, like, has that ever, I know that doesn't happen very often, but I'm just kind of curious, like, when it happens to someone for the first time, what should they do, like you said, if they either, like you said, if there's an alternate that's there, that's okay, we're out of, Beef and chicken, we're out of chicken. Okay, so I'm fortunate we're out of chicken, so here's just more beef. Or have you actually had to send someone in the middle of a service, okay, you got to grab something and bring it back because we're... Yes. Yeah. It's, it's usually you recognize before service. Okay. So there's been a couple instances where it's like, oh shit, if everybody orders cod, we're, we're not going to be prepared. So I just send someone down, run to McEwen's, go pick up something that's going to be the same. You pay 700 times, <laughs> 700 to 100 times the, the cost of what you pay wholesale. But yeah, you were, were here to make an event successful. So that means you do what you need to do. If that means you run out and get stuff, you're you're taking a quick run. Yeah. And then that's great. So now let's, let's talk about some of the expenses though. So what are some of like, is the, the cost of food now, we hear about that now, the inflation rates are going up, everyone's buying, everyone's purchasing power is getting less and less, right? Because the cost of food is high. So how big of an impact is that from the caterer's point of view versus just the regulars or basically it's the same because I know you guys buy in bigger quantities than the average you know household. Yeah, so we're we're sourcing things from multiple suppliers now. So in the past we've had one butcher shop, now we have three. So we're price shopping before we're purchasing. Um, I've actually recently in December I hired an executive chef for the first time. So I've stepped back from those responsibilities. I've brought on uh, uh, an amazing chef who's who knows his numbers and. It's like each time you pull that saran wrap, that's one cent, one cent. So it's like you're thinking about these things now a little bit more with the right people in charge. So Vladimir has been sourcing different suppliers. He's been um, rewriting our menus. And we put out a, two menus a year to, to keep up with these issues. So if beef has gone up 30%, well, the dish at the end of the day is going to go up 30%. So... It's making sure what we're purchasing, we're purchasing the same quality at the best price we can, and then making sure we're charging for it accordingly. Okay. So let me ask you this then. So what should, I guess, when people, let's, let's revert this back to just anyone here. If we're actually shopping for any kind of food, is there any general rule of thumb that you can tell from a high quality ingredient to like a cheap one? Or is there something that, you know, you, okay, you can do a cheap one if you need to, but you're missing out on this, that, the other. Like, I guess it's kind of hard because I don't do the grocery shopping in my household. My, my wife, Mrs. K, does mm -hmm. it. So when she says, 
you know, steaks are this much a, a pound. I'm like, is that a good price? Is that a bad price? I don't know what that, what, how to compare that. So for, for the average consumer, it's just about working with reputable people. So um, going to buy your steak from no frills, you're going to get a no frills and probably it's ungraded, meaning the fat content will be low. The flavor might not be there, might not have any age on it. Um, whereas if you go to a higher end grocery store, like even somewhere like a Longo's will have better meat than someone else. Or you go to a butcher shop uh, that you know of. Um, so in today's market, you just have to be a bit more weary of the different products that you're buying. So uh, usually if you cook fillets for your family, maybe you're going to go to a, a New York strip, something a little a little cheaper. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about knowing where you're getting it from and just trusting their ability and treating yourself when when you want to treat yourself to have something nice and the rest of the time you 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 might have to, your people right now are definitely changing their eating habits from a, a grocery standpoint yeah because i know before like like you said it hits everybody and i feel i feel like especially for a business like yourself where you're buying in such huge quantities versus the average family who's only buying maybe just enough for that day you're buying it for mm-hmm. events. You could be stockpiling, especially for a very big uh, thing. Especially you're going to be doing multiple events throughout the throughout the week or even the month or anything. So you got to have enough stock in there. So that's interesting. So, so what other expenses, though, aside from the food costs, that people who never worked in a catering company or are thinking about becoming their own, like they want to start their own catering, the things that they have to actually keep in a, keep account for, right? Um, you you need all your business insurance. Uh, you need to pay your accountant to, to do your corporate filings. Um, I, When I first started, I opened up a corporation um, opposed to doing a, a self, uh, sole proprietorship because um, of the, the coverage you get from a corporate versus a private. If something goes wrong, I have a, a shell of a corporation to kind of protect me. So it's about, but then your tax filings go from a couple hundred to a few thousand dollars a year. So you have to think about uh, your food costs, your labor costs. How's it, how much is it going to cost you to have someone stand there and prepare it? Because we know our, we're paying our prep chefs 19 to 26 bucks an hour. Um, if it's going to take them three hours, you have to make sure you're charging the right amount for that dish. Um, and then whatever other overhead you have. So we have uh, an office space, like a commissary kitchen so where all of our work gets done so we have the kitchen we have to pay our electricity our hydro um and yeah it's just being mindful of all of those different things then you start adding on your telephone and subscriptions all your computer stuff um for us we have a software program we use to create events um called total party planner and it really helps you organize all that stuff so all of your um you can put your recipes in and adjust the pricing so that it'll help you it'll guide you to the correct sell price okay. so there's there's a there are a couple tools out there that'll help you um ours are the the big expenses would be the the food your labor and then whatever other overhead falls under that well, yeah, that's interesting too, right? Because I think for some caterers, some small business owners who may want to do this, they're like, I guess I, I, can't, I mean, I can't afford all this stuff that uh, GP is talking about. So could I, could I make it work in, let's say, your own personal kitchen? Is it possible? I guess maybe it's on a smaller scale, obviously. Like, I don't think you're going to be doing corporate events unless you're, you're, unless you're making only one kind of dish, whether it's just a dessert thing or something like that, right? Uh, yes. Then you put, you legally you cannot work out of your own home you need a kitchen that's uh monitored by the city so like we have you know all the restaurants have the green tags yeah yeah i'm familiar with this uh so we have one in our catering kitchen as well so it's uh provincially inspected um i did start out of my mom's kitchen because i think everybody starts you got to start somewhere right uh so it legally it's not legal but there it's definitely something that people do um but having your own space and a proper industrial kitchen is quite important 
Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So let's talk about social media. Now, this is not a social media podcast. So what role does social media play in your business? Like, is it are you using more of the Instagrams and the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Pinterest kind of thing just to keep your name out there? Or do you just keep it strictly to the website? Um, I think social media is quite important, um, especially in today's day and age where everyone's flipping. My favorite's Instagram because I'm in such a visual yeah. um, visual field. So people need to see what we're doing. So I'll walk around my events and video everything. And I actually had a customer I was filming. We were doing a, a pasta bar and a, a slider bar this weekend. And uh, I was just filming and he said, oh, do you film it just for your record so you can see what you've done? I'm like, no, it's all for social media. <laughs> Everything is content. Don't forget to, what's that on uh, Instagram right now. It's like, don't forget to film it. Don't forget to film it. Everything is content. So it's about creating that content and just showing people what you're doing, where you are. People want to want to see me in a lot of posts and stuff and but yeah, social media, for me, it's all about Instagram. Uh, we do have links right to Facebook. Um, we were on Twitter. No, not Twitter. Uh, yeah, we, we were on Twitter, but it's, it's not a, a platform that suits us best. Instagram's the best thing for us. So yeah, social media is very important. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and like, as you guys can hear, so aside from offering a catering service, John is also going to be singing as well on some of the performances. So you definitely reach out to him yeah. if you want him to also that's sing. extra. As, as opposed to <laughs> just the... You, you, pay, you paid extra for that service. There we go. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So now yeah. we're going to talk about the industry in general now. So what is it, yeah. what is your current opinion on, let's say, the catering industry? Or maybe we can touch on the... Well, I guess we already touched upon the food industry. That's just more expensive. What about the catering industry? And what's your opinion on where it's currently going you have a small business story to share the sme stories podcast is looking for entrepreneurs to share their tales of success failure and everything if you're interested in being a guest on our show or know someone be a great fit please contact us at northway capital group at gmail.com that's northway capital group at gmail.com um we're going back to the way it kind of was uh, pre-covid so uh, during COVID, it was it was a just a mess out there. Um, we looked at our calendar on March the thirteenth. Just drop, drop, drop. It went from ready to go, and everyone just fell off at that point. Um, so right now, we're going through a massive boom. Um, everyone in the industry is incredibly busy, which is so great. Yeah. Um, and everyone wants because everybody wants to entertain you. You've lost all of those. Uh, gatherings and momentous occasions to celebrate right now everybody wants to celebrate those things all at once so the the catering industry is really uh, being pushed forward um by the the population out there that wants to celebrate so um we are seeing difficulties uh, ahead of us in terms of staffing and labor um we probably saw a 30% drop in people in the industry. Um, I heard a statement from Restaurant Canada saying that 30% of the people in this industry have left. So that's left a huge hole to fill in terms 30 of staff. 30%? 30%. Because wow. think about it. If you're not an entrepreneur, if you didn't have the ability to pivot and do something else, you're sitting around for two years. You can't survive with that. Uh, the expense of living in the big city, you you needed to to change. A lot of people moved into IT or found other work because they had to. So in terms of where the industry is going, we're building back up, we're building back up on our personnel, um, but we're we're having a, a great time and there's so much event work out there for for all of us. Oh, that's great to hear. And so so is it the fear from the so the you're saying you have trouble finding people. It's just that the people are afraid to, you know, start doing it again because they're their fear of another shutdown? Or is it literally they just you said like they've switched to a different career altogether? Or is there just want to know if it's reluctancy on the the person looking for work now, or is it just yeah, something else? I think it's twofold. I think there's the the, the people that didn't want to get vaccinated and then all the people, all the 
companies said, you have to be vaccinated to start working with us again. So those people probably said, forget this, I'm going to find a new a new way of working. Um, and then there's just the people that couldn't survive on nothing. So they, they've left the industry altogether. Interesting. So oh, interesting. So let's, let's pick you on something else here. So what is it that people don't know about your industry that would be very surprised when they find out, like when they actually hear this or if they actually spend a day in, in the life of what you guys do right now? What would people just be really surprised at? I think people don't realize the amount of work that goes into creating an event. Um, in our kitchen, you need to be fast. You need to be organized. Um, a, a lay cook coming in will not be able to keep up with us because we've been swinging our knives for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, depending on on who you are. So um, I think people would be surprised how quick we move, how much work there is to prepare for an event. Um, and just, yeah, the amount of organizing that goes into creating an event. Wow, that's really great to hear. So I guess also I also like to talk about, you know, not just the good and the bad, but the real stuff. So currently, uh, John, what has been your biggest uh, success, but also your biggest failure so far in running your business? Um, the biggest success, I think, again, is going back to creating those relationships. I um, mean, the biggest failure is failing to meet the demands of, of those customers or having the wrong person involved um, who doesn't put the same effort in to what I I would put into to creating a successful event. So I think the biggest failure is is hiring the wrong people to fill the role mm. and not recognizing that and getting rid of them faster. Um, I, I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt and give them more opportunity. Um, but at the end of the day, you need to have a team around you that you trust, that you know is going to execute to the highest standard. Um, and that's what I'm I'm thankful to have right now. Now it's time for tips from the pro. Interesting, interesting. All right. So we're going to hit on, on our tips from the pro segment here. And we're just going to ask, you know, this is for people who are saying, I want to do what, what John does. And maybe I should ask some simple questions on here that are like that. So what, in your opinion, are the biggest mistakes that people trying to get into your space are making? Undervaluing yourself, giving giving away too much. You have to come at it like um, at the beginning, people will say, oh, if you give me a break on this, I'll tell all my friends and you'll get all the business in the world. Don't trust those people. It's that's not how it works. If if you have a service, if you ha are offering something, um, price it properly. Look for the right customers. Don't be bogged down by those customers who say who say they'll they'll give you the world if you give them a deal. Um, that's not how it works, and you're just selling yourself short at the end of the day. Oh, interesting. That's it's interesting to hear. And and what are the th mistakes that? Uh, I guess not really what clients are making, but what, so you said, I guess you just talked about clients who will try to offer you, you know, just cut down on, on this and then we'll give you like five-star reviews on Yelp and we'll tell all our friends and they're going to do five-star reviews on all these different things. So that's one of the mistakes that uh, there, there's well. So it's interesting. So how do you keep yourself educated on the current trends? Like are there certain websites or memberships or market intelligence sites that you have access to that uh, you think would be beneficial to the new and up and coming, uh, you know, caterer owner? I think there's, there's nothing that we really pick, um, to, to monitor, like we'll go on to although anything that has photos. So the Pinterests will scroll through all of that. We'll talk to our event designer friends, um, see what they're noticing in terms of trends. Um, and we'll just keep pushing our own learning forward. And by doing that, we create our own trends or create our own um things that other people might pick up and say, oh, that's cool. We should be doing that. Um, so it's it's all about uh, just keeping your eyes on the social media, seeing what other people are doing, but also just trying to push your own creativity forward. 
Right. Not just to try to cater to what's there, but if it's something that you find yourself personally that you can really do that you think can add value, might as well just also work on that as well. So no, that's good to hear. What are some different niches in the catering space? And is there any ones that, let's say, a new person can really latch onto that will give them some short-term success in the beginning, right? Because I guess when people think of catering, they're thinking of really big corporate events. They can be thinking of weddings. They can be thinking of all these big uh, things or even, you know, Comic-Cons or those type of festival kind of things. So what what about other areas that maybe people didn't even think about? And like I said, I'll just give one example for some people is that um, one of my podcast guests, she was a makeup artist. And one of the things that she said that I didn't even think about was, oh, uh, funeral homes is a great place to actually work if you're a makeup artist. Because I always kept thinking of, oh, like those fashion shoots or those cover things. But she's like, no. Funeral homes. I'm like, okay. Is there anything like that, obviously, in the catering space that, you know, people wouldn't even think about, but it's actually not that bad of a niche to really at least start with or, hell, even focus on it? I think for, for starting, the, the best thing to do would be focus on your family and friends and try and get the small, intimate gatherings, the dinner party for six, the dinners for two, working on Valentine's Day. Um, start small, start small and just focus on great service, great food. And then it's catering is like a spider web. You'll, you're starting at one point and the next thing you know, another customer's found you through this one customer and then they're friends. And now just everything will start small, focus on your friends and family. That's exactly what I did. I joined a networking group um, and that helped me slowly work outward to bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger events over time. Wow. Okay. That's, that's pretty cool actually. So yeah, I never really thought about that. So that's, that's a good thing to hear uh, for this. So, okay. So what is the current way that uh, you guys generally get paid? Now, obviously in a perfect world, when you quote an event or anything like that, whatever that is, they just, okay, here's everything up front. So what is the I guess, what are some different options that you can collect revenue from your, your events? Is it is there a, a universal standard or is it a bit flexible? Like, okay, I'll take 20% up front and then, or half and half, or, you know, especially for the beginning too, right? Because obviously some people are, I guess, are afraid to actually give that big number for, let's say, a bigger event. So what do you recommend? So for us, we do, uh, depending on the size and the how far out it is um if it's further away say you're planning a wedding in 2023 or 2024 we'll take 25 percent up front and that's going to secure your day that's going to uh, help us start booking the right people for the event and the right uh, equipment for the event um and then closer to the day we'll take another 25 percent, and then once the event is done we'll take the remainder the the last 50 percent if the event is coming up quickly, we'll take 50 up front. Um, if it's something like a delivery, we'll take 100% up front. Um, so there's a, a couple different payment options for us. Um, E-transfers are always the best because you're not paying the credit card processing fees. Um, but yeah. Okay, interesting. Excellent. Well, that's good to hear because I don't think – I might start asking that now actually to some people because I think for some, for some business owners, they're just not sure what's the best way to actually collect, right? So okay. um, that's good to know. And obviously, we kind of talked about already about the insurance and obviously that's definitely necessary that you have there. What's your best strategy for dealing with, I guess, difficult clients that you can give to the new new owner? Hey you, do you need a voiceover? Well, look no farther. Northway Capital Group has your answer. Commercials and explainer videos, AVR and voicemail, health and wellness, corporate training and e-learning, announcements, documentaries, and biography. Contact us on social media or email us at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. I think it's about being consistent in the way in which you deal with everybody. If someone's going to be difficult... You might have to give them a little bit more hand-holding, walk them through the process. Everybody um, understands what catering is on the macro, on the micro. It's about walking the customer through. Okay, so what, this is what's going to happen from the start of the event all the way to the end of the event. 
and asking the right questions. So what's your vision for your event? And really, if the customer is hesitant, you'll pick up on that or asking them flat out, what's been the worst experience you've had with catering so that I don't make those same mistakes? Like if, if someone's a difficult client, there's a reason behind why they're a difficult client. They've probably been burned by someone else in the past for something similar. Yeah, I was about to say that that could be what it is, right? Because I don't think people generally think it's, oh, it's because these people are just jerks. You know what? Maybe some cases they are. But like you yeah. said, that whole th- idea of, you know, did they get screwed over in the past? Then, oh, that might be. That might be a reason why they're actually acting like that. Like, you know, burn me once, shame on you, burn me twice, shame on me kind of thing, right? So, exactly. that, sorry, that fool me once, whatever, whatever it is. But uh, yeah, that, that's good to understand that, uh, you know, putting it on their shoes. But yeah, you said they just need a little bit more support, more handholding. That, that that could be the case. So excellent. All right. So let me go into the next section here. Uh, so what is... Okay, so we talked about this. So a lot of problems that we have as, as owners is that we really work crazy hours, right? Like I'm sure, especially in that environment. So what has been your best advice to try to get some type of work-life balance? Oh, that's a tough one. My wife hates my job. <laughs> wow, I guess you should have her on the show and we can have something like that, but okay. Yeah. Um, just because of the, the hours and, and what it takes. So like this weekend, I got in the office at nine and I wasn't done till uh, midnight or 9 a.m. till midnight. So there's there's days in which you're going to have those long days, but it comes back to hiring and having the right people around you. So um, our new executive chef is taking care of everything in the kitchen. I'm doing some different things, whether it's uh, I'm taking the events and running the events. It's all about just the right people around you, being able to trust the people around you and to be able to delegate and let them do the work and let them go off site. And as long as they can train properly, they'll do a a great job for you. Like I don't need to be at every single event anymore. So that's, that's how we try and add some balance and um, take an awesome Monday or, or doing other things like that will, will help. Uh, but it's definitely as an entrepreneur, any entrepreneur out there, you you just got to grind it out, um, get to a certain level, and then you can have other people around you helping out. No, oh, that's great to hear. I mean, that's always a thing, right? And, and I think, uh, yeah, we, we the, especially for those who are coming from a nine to five, you know, they say, why would you leave a 40 hour work week job to start your own business and potentially work 80 hours, right? That's that whole mantra of it. So why can't you just relax and all this sort of stuff. But you'd be surprised how, you know, I, I like how you said you've actually been able to delegate more and find the right people. I think that's a big thing is finding the right person to do certain parts of the job that you can take yourself away. Because I think the challenge a lot of owners might have is, you know, especially if they built this from the ground up, this is their baby. To actually trust someone to run with their baby or hold their, you know, during this whole thing is, it can be pretty stressful. So that's why some people just re- refuse and then they turn into almost a cog in the wheel. They are like a, a barrier that's not letting it proceed further. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why I focus on hiring an executive chef because I've been the executive chef for 15 years, chief bottle washer. To, um, <laughs> I've always had someone running my books for bookkeeping because I did that for a couple of years at the beginning and it was horrendous. Um, but yeah, it's about trusting in the people you're hiring. And if you can't trust them, you've hired the wrong person. Exactly. And then that, that's that's the thing. Now it's time for the rapid fire round. All right. So, all right, we're going to get into the rapid fire stuff here. This is more of the fun, more relaxing one. But for some reason, it's still related to food. So, all right, John, yeah. we're, you're ready to go. So, all right, this is a would you rather question. Would you rather put ketchup or ranch dressing on everything you eat? Oh, dear. <laughs> ketchup. Ketchup. All right. That, that's good. Maybe not so much with ice cream, but, you know, that's, that's okay. So if you could make your yeah. own sandwich, what is in it and what's it called? Oh, what's in it? It's going to be the kitchen sink. It's going to have layers. It's going to have layers of 
deli meats and dry cured meats and uh hot mustard, regular mustard. I'm a mustard guy. Oh yeah. Uh, like a nice aioli on there. Um tomatoes, lettuce, pickles, something acidic, whether it's pickles or pickled onions, pickled carrots, something like that. And then finally something fresh. So like some fresh uh parsley or basil to really help brighten everything up. What what bun would you put water? I know. <laughs> what what bun would you put on it though? That's another question. Not oh, just got, the... it, it, it's got to be something sturdy, like a nice panini bread. So not too crunchy, so you don't destroy the top of your mouth when you take your first bite. Um, <laughs> but just something nice, light, fluffy. If you want to press it on the panini grill and take it to a different level that that's what you're going to choose yeah and i guess finding those that's what i'm going to choose yeah and some type of bun that if you have condiments in the sandwich it's not going to soak up and then just crumble apart when you're trying to eat it because i've seen some of those where it just soaks up everything that you're basically you almost it's so so wet by the time you try to grab the sandwich it's like your fingers are all covered in you know sauces and stuff you're like okay there should be a, a different type of bread that can still maintain its softness can absorb it but not you know turn into anything like that but okay actually and it's called and then it's 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 go ahead, go ahead. It's also about layering the ingredients properly so your first bite doesn't eject all the other ingredients out the back <laughs> interesting good to know all right what is yeah. your favorite versatile ingredient um i think i'm gonna say something like soy sauce really surprisingly sauce. yeah it's got that umami, that mouthfeel. It can help elevate a soup and put that hidden ingredient in the background. Something soy or tamari is gluten-free that, yeah, you'd be surprised what <laughs> I add a little soy to. Interesting. All right. If you had a go-to dish that you had to present to, let's say, a top food critic or whoever, let's say Master Chef or any of these things or maybe... Um, what's that called? Iron Chef or something? I don't know. One of those old old time shows. What would be your go to dish if you had to present it to a critic? I think I'd do something like a, a nice tartar stack where you can layer, and so you take a, a, a mold and you put it in the middle of the plate, and then you layer things in that mold. Then when you take it off, you got these beautiful layers, and. With some nice, I don't know, maybe tuna tartare. And then under that, you can do something smooth like a uh, guacamole. Under that, something crunchy with um, maybe fennel and things like that. And some nice hot sauce around the plate. Something fancy like a nice little stack of beautiful, fresh, seasonal ingredients. Interesting. Excellent. And sorry, this last one before I ask, actually, two last, last couple of questions. And all right. So a lot of chefs, when we tell them, because uh, people think chefs like yourself, when they come home, they must whip up <laughs> awesome dinner food for the family and friends. And and I know spoke to my old friend, uh, Aaron, who is uh, also a chef and a restaurateur, but he was like, Ken, when I come home, I am tired. So I have no problem going for like Late night Chinese takeout or something. What is yours, John? My late night go-to is pizza. Pizza? From where? From Pizza Nova. Pizza Nova. There we go. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that too, right? Because you know what? No. You're around food the entire time. And sometimes you don't want to spend an hour making your family dinner or something, especially if you're tired as well, right? Yeah. My wife laughs. She's like, you just spent all this time cooking these beautiful meals for people. And you went and got yourself a piece of pizza. Like, <laughs> yep. Yeah. And it's my go-to. I actually have a couple of new food questions I just thought of that I thought was really funny as well. All right. Now, this this could be controversial or not. Okay. One, is cereal a soup? Yes or no? <laughs> That's an awesome question. I'm going to say no. You got to defend it. Why? Why? Because it's, it's not hot and you're at home. That's a good point. You can do your cold soup. It's soup. <laughs> cereal is soup. I guess, I, I don't know. The more I think about it, it's like, yeah, that's breakfast soup. It's breakfast soup. Hey, we'll call it breakfast, breakfast soup. soup. That's what it is. Where did you get this question? No, that's, that, that's where I do. And, and the last question on this food-related one before I ask you one final non-food-related question is, okay, 
What do you? What is your opinion? Cereal than milk, or milk than cereal? And you could do the same for coffee. Do you pour coffee first, then cream, or cream then coffee? Coffee then cream because the natural current of the hot coffee will mix your cream in instantly. You don't need to use a spoon. So definitely cereal before milk, because then like if you don't want too much milk, you don't want it to get too soggy. I don't know. Well, we're not going to call it cereal anymore. We're going to call it breakfast soup. That's exactly what we're going to call it. Soup. Put on oh, a yeah. t-shirt. That's all I got to say. So last question on this one there, John. What is your theme song? So basically, that music, you're walking down the sidewalk, you're about to enter your, your, your place of business. That song hits. When people hear that song, they're like, yep, John's coming. It's the final countdown. Ah, Europe, love that song. I mean, <laughs> I love the intro. Because we're always... We're always on a on a time budget. It's like it's it's go time. When it's go time, it's go time. So we are always w- waiting for that moment before it's execution time. So it's just the final counting. That is awesome. I love that song. I only like the chorus and the music in the background. But once it gets to the actual verses and stuff, then it kind of loses me there. But everyone's just waiting to hear that final countdown and then that those little I don't know if it's piano synthesized whatever that you call it. But yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Is that journey? No, it's from it's from Europe. Europe. Okay. I think that might be their only hit. My artist, right? That might be the only hit that they ever had. So good for Europe. So any last general advice you want to give to the aspiring caterer or even small business owner in general? Be open to opportunity when it comes to knocking. Um, if it doesn't sound right, uh, it probably isn't right. Um Trust the people around you and build that great team, but hold those people ac- accountable. Um, and just for us, it's, it's the pursuit of excellence. We're always striving for, for better, striving to be better, to know more. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, all right, John, and where can people find you? Uh, at JP Fine Foods on social jpfinefoods.ca um, on the, uh, the old interweb. And uh, yeah, look us up, say hi, let us know if you, you need anything to eat. There you go. <laughs> Love it. So, all right, John, thank you for being on the podcast. This was a blast. It was my pleasure, Ken. Thank you so much for having me. All right, guys, that was our episode with John from JP Fine Foods. It was a really fun episode to record and listening to it now, I'm just thinking of all the few nuggets that we got from that. I think one of the first things I thought about and that I remember from the episode was that, you know, really looking for the right people when you're hiring. Uh, I think it's it's very challenging for owners as well. And I think you saw in the episode I talked about how a lot of small business owners, they hold on to their business like it's their baby. And to trust and delegate it to someone else can be a big challenge for a lot of small business owners because that's they always feel that no one else can treat their business better than they can. But they can also be the cause of why the business isn't progressing. And if you saw my previous episode with Ken Kilday, you know, having that because you being hiring the right people can potentially, if they believe in your vision of what you're trying to achieve, they can maybe 10x your business just because they believe in the message. It's like the people who really um like people who work for, let's say, the president or the the prime minister, uh, who really, they believe in the vision of that leader, and they will do whatever they can to make it or achieve, to achieve and to maybe supersede what even the leader itself is trying to do. So that was one thing that I noticed as well. I think the second thing that I thought was all the different niches that uh, I didn't think about, right? So when his idea of saying, maybe start with, be the family and friends you know, caterer of choice. Do the couple's night out or the couple's night in, small dinner settings, just to get your reps in of doing it. And yeah, that may only mean just it's you, but that's okay. Because as long as you get that experience of doing it, because I think when people take a look at people like John, who they're running like major events and they've been doing it for 16 years, they can get overwhelming thinking, oh man, I need an industrial sized kitchen and, you know, 20 chefs and 30 servers and all these different things. And I don't know if I can afford all that stuff. Start small. No one's asking you to do a 300 person wedding on your first gig, right? Start small, really 
learn the lumps and the roads and sorry, learn, take your bumps, especially on the smaller stuff, because the bumps on the big stuff is really going to hurt. So define your processes and really get those resolved in the early part so that when it hits the big stuff, you're like a well-oiled machine. So the fact that he's talking about, you know, chefs who show up late in his business, who try to join his company, they get weeded out very quickly because they got a well-oiled machine. Everyone knows what they're doing. So, all right, guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I enjoyed recording it and we'll see you on the next one.